1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27 tells us, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is great to have you with us, especially on this day when so many people forgot to uh, set their clocks ahead. And unfortunately, the daylight savings time shift fell on the same night as the ACC championship basketball. That, that, that was bad planning on somebody's part. But anyway, we are really, really glad to have you here this morning. Thank you so much for coming. If you got a bulletin on the way in, you'll notice that it has a little tear-off strip that's entitled, Hey, I'm Here. We always appreciate it if you fill that out, whether it's your first time or you're here every single week. It's our way of knowing that you're here. And if you are here for the first time today, or you are a fairly recent guest, I hope you'll stay around for a few minutes in the coffee bar after the service, so we'll have an opportunity to meet you. And uh, just a reminder, we have name tags out there, and I think it helps us all get to know each other a little bit more easily when we wear name tags. So just a reminder, they're there. If you're comfortable wearing one every week, you can pick one up on your way into the service. Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you may know that we have been uh, focusing on a theme we call We Are, the values that define us. Let me give you just a little background as to why we're doing this. Last summer, some of our elders on our church session began meeting together, praying together, seeking from the Lord clarity on how we can best fulfill the mission to which he has called us as a church. We know that we're called to fulfill the great commission of Jesus, reaching people with the gospel, building, sending people out into the world. We, we know that. But we began asking the question, is there a way we can focus more clearly in order that we as a local church body 
can bear the most fruit we can possibly bear for your glory. Over time, churches like other organizations can get a little scattered in their emphases. And uh, if you own a business or a practice or something like that, you know that every now and then you need a realignment, kind of like we have with our own cars, to focus as best you can on what your mission is, what you're called to do. And we began asking the Lord, how can we, as one local church, best glorify you and make disciples? And we express that in a short, simple statement that you'll see in this middle panel inside of your bulletin titled Vision Frame on the right side. We believe we can best glorify God and make disciples by building followers of Jesus in our church who recognize that we're sent to reach others. We don't just come to church to gain knowledge for the sake of our own relationship with God, but we embrace the fact that Jesus sends his people into the world to share his love, to share his truth, to show his gospel, and to share his gospel. We also recognize the need for a little more clarity around our process for making disciples, what we call our discipleship pathway, and we begin focusing on seven values that we believe define us, or perhaps I should say, should define us more in the future. And so we're focusing on those values in this particular study. They're biblical values and values that I think should uh, be true of our church as a whole, but also be true of each of us as individuals. We've talked about the importance of being Bible-centered, prayer-fueled, spirit-led, generous-hearted, mission-minded, and today, relationally connected. Now, as we look at this particular value, we're going to be focusing on a passage of Scripture that Grace read for us just a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's always important when studying Scripture to understand verses in their setting, in their context. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has a particular context. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth that we call the book of 1 Corinthians. And he wrote it with a particular purpose. He was addressing specific issues in that church and apparently responding to questions that they had sent to him. We know that because he writes in the seventh chapter, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And he does some teaching. The next chapter he says, now concerning food offered to idols. <clears throat> and he teaches on that subject. In chapter 12, <clears throat> he begins with the words, now concerning spiritual gifts. That's the chapter we're focusing on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about the operation of the Holy Spirit in and through his people when he gives his people spiritual gifts. How those gifts should be best used in a local church fellowship or a local body. And in talking about the operation of these gifts, he goes on to give one of the most beautiful teachings about the body of Christ, the church, that's found in Scripture. And so we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. There's a little outline on the back of your bulletin. If, you, if it helps you to follow that, you'll find that printed there. And we see certain truths about the church, which he calls the body of Christ. First of all, 
There's one body of Christ, only one true body of Christ, he writes, but it's made up of many members. And you see this in the verses on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He writes, just as the body is one and has many members, and here he's talking about our human bodies. He's going to use the analogy of the human body to, to make a comparison with the church to teach us about how the church should work in relation, individual members, in relation to one another. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now you are, he writes to the church, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you see what he's doing here. He's saying just like our human bodies, there's one body, but we have many, many members in that one body consisting of eyes and ears and hands and feet. So it is with the church, the body of Christ. There's one church, but many members. And he's going to go on to teach us about how the church should work using this analogy of the human body. Now, when he says there's one body, and it's made up of Jews and Greeks and slaves and free, what he's telling us is there's one true church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come by going through a, a membership class like the members we introduced a few moments ago did, but we join the worldwide eternal body of Christ when we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. When, recognizing our sin and our need for God's forgiveness, we recognize that Jesus atoned for that sin, paid for that sin himself in his crucifixion, in his death on the cross. And through our faith in him, as we embrace him as our Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit immerses us or baptizes us, as that verse says, into the body of Christ. So while there's one worldwide body of Christ, let's keep in mind the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to one particular local church body, the church at Corinth. And while there's only one worldwide church, there are many local expressions to which the teaching in this chapter applies. And what he's going to teach us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about how we should relate to one another in these local expressions that we call that we call here River Oaks Community Church. Now, one body made up of many members. Secondly, the body of Christ is made up of interdependent members in a local church body. We do not, at least should not, exist in isolation from one another because we need each other. And again, he uses the analogy of the human body. And he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of of smell. So you see what he's saying here, just like our human bodies need the eyes and ears and hands and feet, 
every local expression of the body of Christ, the local church, needs the variety of people and gifts that God places there if it's to function uh, in optimal health. Now, in teaching us about our interdependency, he notes that God is the one who has arranged the members of the body as he has chosen. Verse 18 tells us this. God arranged the members in the one body, each one of them as he chose. I think that tells us that there is no unnecessary member in Christ's body. Now, I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Now, you may think, well, I don't know what my place is in this local church. Or if you're a guest from out of town, perhaps stay in your own local church, you may say, I don't know what it is. I think many Christians feel that way. But I think as we get more connected with people in our local churches, as we begin to serve as we can, we begin to discover ways that God has uniquely gifted us, wired us, called us. It takes some time, I think, for those unique gifts and roles and abilities to come forth. But just know this, there is no unnecessary member in the body of Christ. And then thirdly, God calls the members of his body to honor and care for one another. And he writes, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And I think he's talking here about our human bodies, that there may be no division in the body, and he's now applying to the church, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, the question I want to raise this morning is why? Why is it important for us as followers of Jesus to be relationally connected with other people in a local church body, in an expression of the one body of Christ? Why should we be relationally connected? Throughout the history of the church, there are a number of people who've taught and felt over the centuries that the, the best way to get closest to God is by isolating yourself, distancing yourself from society, from other people, from even a local church as much as possible. That that's the way to be most holy. That's the way to be most pure. That's the way to grow most and best and to thrive most in a really close relationship with God to be as isolated from people as possible. Is that what the Bible teaches? I don't think so. I think, though it may be more challenging, that God calls us to grow spiritually in relationship with other people. And I think that's how we grow most and best, when we're relationally connected. Why is that the case? Why do we need to be relationally connected? Well, for one, God created us for relationships. We see this in the very beginning, the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Notice God says, our image, after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. God is a God of relationship. And he created us with a need for relationships to thrive most in our relationship with him. What you'll see on the screen is an image that goes back for a long time. I don't know the origin of it. It's sometimes called the Trinity Shield. And it is uh, an illustration that has been used for a very long time to try to express the teaching of the Bible visually regarding the Trinity. The doctrine or the teaching of the Trinity is that there's only one God. Yet the one God exists eternally as three distinct persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in the center of the shield, you see God, and you see on the, the three, uh, from the three different directions there that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet you see on the lines between Father and Spirit that there is a distinction. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the, the Holy Spirit's not the Father. One God existing eternally in three distinct persons, each of whom is fully God. That's why God can speak in first person plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In the 12th century, there was a Scotsman teacher, writer, Christian leader called Richard of St. Victor. And he wrote about the Trinity. And he said, you know, God must be triune. God must be Trinity because God is love. And if God were not Trinity, prior to the creation of anything, God would have had no one to love. And God is love. The teaching of the Bible is that God has existed eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a relationship of perfect unity, perfect love, perfect fellowship. And out of this perfect love and this perfect fellowship, God chose to create. He chose to create humanity. When he created Adam in the Garden of Eden, he immediately says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. He creates Eve. And God himself is walking with them in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. They're enjoying fellowship with their creator. Then, of course, mankind sinned, violated God's command. And if you read the book of Genesis, you see what happens immediately in the human race. There's separation from God. There's shame. There's blaming of one another. There's a distancing from God and from each other. And there's murder. Yet God begins to work through people like Abraham and later people like Moses to call a people to himself. As you read the Old Testament, you can hear God's longing to have a people for his own possession. Ultimately, through this people, he brings Jesus Christ, God the Son, who leaves the perfection of heaven and lives among us. And he calls his disciples. And as he reveals himself to them, he even says in the Gospel of John, 
No longer do I call you servants. I call you my friends. And he explains he's about to go to the cross. He says, I'm, I'm going, but don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Fellowship and love, relationship, created by God himself. And then Jesus on the cross provided for that relationship of eternal fellowship by providing for the removal of our sin when he bore our judgment himself that we might be credited with his own righteousness before God the Father, our holy God. Well, all that is to say, God is a God of relationship and he created us for relationship. There's a second reason that I think we need to be relationally connected. And that is that we're stronger together. I think the Bible teaches this. You know, the Bible often uses the image of followers of Jesus as sheep. His sheep, the sheep of his flock. And when sheep get isolated, when they get separated from the flock, that's when they tend to be attacked by wolves. The book of Ecclesiastes puts it beautifully, I think, in these words, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And then in Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus sends out his disciples. He taught them and then he sent them into the world. And he sends them out how? Two by two. Into every town and place where he himself was about to go. I think the Bible teaches us that we are stronger together. Last year, Beth and I, my wife and I, had the opportunity to be in California for a few days, Northern California, and uh, we did a tour of Muir Woods, Northern California, where there are the majestic, mighty, extraordinary uh, redwood trees. And I was just struck with the awesomeness of this part of God's creation. And we learned a little bit about redwood trees when we were there. We learned, for one, that they thrive near the coast of Northern California because of the fog that comes in off of the ocean, and these gigantic trees are able to trap much of that fog under their canopy and get a great deal of their water supply that way. And that's why they, they thrive in that particular climate. It's incredible that they grow to be over 300 feet tall in some cases and have lived for as long as 2,000 years. Can you imagine that? Tree being 2,000 year old and years old, and all the things they've got to uh, weather to exist that long to make it that long. One of the things I learned about redwood trees that was most remarkable to me is that they don't have very deep roots. They don't have a deep tap root like a lot of trees have, and their roots are just uh, relatively shallow in light of their great height, but they tend to exist in groves or lines of trees, and their roots intertwine with each other. 
sometimes even fusing together so that they can share nutrients. And the fact that the roots intertwine like this together make them especially strong when they're facing the forces of nature, like high winds and floods and things like this. These majestic trees are stronger together. And that, I believe, is the way God has designed his people. The Bible calls us trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Why is it important to be relationally connected? Why would that be a value of our church? Well, for one, God created us for relationships, but secondly, we're stronger together. And then thirdly, we grow most spiritually. And I think we grow most in our likeness to Jesus Christ when we are relationally connected with other members of the body of Christ. I think the way this is perhaps best seen in Scripture is by the many one another commands of Scripture. There's a sampling of those that you see on the screen. And in the New Testament, there are a number of places where God calls us to certain behavior that is really only possible if we are in relationship with other people. Really not possible if we're isolated by ourselves all the time. Now, let me just interject. I don't think it's bad from time to time to be isolated from other people. In fact, I think it's very, very healthy. I like to occasionally take a prayer retreat where I'm just alone with the Lord for a few days. And we see in Scripture Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days. Um, that's not bad at all. But I think uh, we need to come down from the mountain and exist and grow in relationship with other people. So we read these types of words in the New Testament. We're called to love one another. In fact, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another. His new commandment for his disciples. In Romans 12, we're called to honor one another. Our passage today in 1 Corinthians tells us we're to care for one another. The book of Galatians says we're to serve one another through love. We're to bear one another's burdens. How can we do that if we're not relationally connected with other people? We're to be kind to one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to build one another up. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 talks about the fact that we shouldn't forsake our assembling together, but rather stir up one another to love and good works. James says we're even to confess sins to each other and pray for one another that we may be healed. And Peter the Apostle writes that we're to show hospitality to one another. Why be relationally connected? Why have that as a personal value for yourself? Why have that as a value for a church? Well, because God created us for relationships. We're stronger together. And I think we grow most and best when we are relationally connected with other people. As we draw to a close, I want to raise just a few questions by way of personal application. The first one is this. 
Am I a member of the body of Christ? Let me be clear, I'm not asking, are you a, a member of River Oaks Community Church, having gone through a membership class and, and all that? I'm talking about embracing Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, putting your faith in Him, your trust in Him. The passage you read today says when that happens, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us, unites us with, places us into the body of Christ. We become a member of Christ's body. I'd like to just ask this question there of those of us who are married here this morning. And I'd ask if, if we could take the PowerPoint slide back to that list of one another commands for a moment. If you're married, and we know that we're called to fulfill these one another commands as part of the body of Christ, how much more so is that to be true in our own homes? Is that not where this should start? I expect many of us would say, you know, it's tougher to do that, frankly. To love one another, honor one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, encourage one another, stir one another up to good uh, works and love. A little bit tougher to do that in the home sometimes than in the church. But I do think it starts there for those who are married. We can go back to those final questions. And then, whether single or married, am I fulfilling the one another commands as part of Christ's body? Fulfilling these commands is part of our spiritual growth in becoming more like Christ, more like Jesus. Because God has ordained, I believe, that we grow spiritually to become more like Jesus, most and best in relation to other people. Let's pray about that as we prepare to close this morning. If you're here today and you are not sure whether you have ever really embraced the salvation of Jesus Christ for yourself. You're not sure whether you're a member of the body of Christ. I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer. If you'd like to do that, if you are prepared to do that, if you are ready and willing to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you recognize that you are a sinner in need of His forgiveness and believe He provided for that forgiveness on the cross, I'd invite you to simply repeat these words after me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I need Your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And Lord Jesus, I receive your saving work right now. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Make me your follower. Enable me to follow you all the days of my life. I'd like to pray now for those here who 
you feel like you've been hurt by the church. You feel like you've been condemned, rejected. And you've allowed that hurt to cause you to distance yourself from other believers. That's not God's will for your life. Would you present that to the Lord? Would you forgive who you need to forgive? And would you receive his healing grace? Father, I pray for marriages where the fulfillment of these one another commands almost seems an impossibility at this point, but your word tells us that with God nothing shall be impossible. Bring your healing into marriages here. And Father, make us here at River Oaks Community Church, this small local expression of your body. Make us as healthy as we can be by fulfilling these one another commands and being relationally connected. And we pray these things in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.